Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Well, praise the Lord. Here we are for another great Wednesday night, United. And uh, we're believing God for some great things. We're going to get into uh, a wonderful word from the Lord uh, as we're going to continue with the subject that we've been on entitled Give No Place. And I believe this is the ninth part of it. And, uh, but there was something that uh, I wanted to share with you very quickly, uh, not to give it a light treatment, but there were some things that the Lord said to me this morning uh, in my uh, prayer time, and uh, he spoke to me some about next year uh, and about the current state of, uh, of the nation and these different things, and I'll, I'll share it with you very quickly, and of course, then it will be on the video for posterity, and you can uh, reference it uh, at any time that you would desire. Uh, but he said, of course, he had spoke to us about 2021 some time ago, being a year of light and magnificent victory. And he said at the beginning of this, he said, 2021, a year of light and magnificent victory. And then he said to stay focused on what I've said about 2021. Pay no attention to the little yapping dogs, the ones who are yapping about what they're going to do, yapping about their plans to cause division, strife, and disruption. He said, to me, they are just noise. They are sound without substance. <clears throat> but soon, there will be a sound that will shake the very foundations of their power base. It will shake them to their core for very soon. He said, and he said this, showed this to me all in caps. The lion will roar and when he roars all the little yapping dogs are going to tuck their tails and run you'll look for them and not see them you'll listen for them and not hear them what seems like upheaval at the moment in this nation and what seems like chaos is actually the toppling of a wicked system attempting to block my purpose and my plan when your president blessed and stood in support of Israel in the face of harsh, vicious criticism, it produced two things. Hatred from those who have no love for my people Israel and blessing, support, and protection from me. The hatred you see against your president is not because of his personality. It is because he took a stand against the enemies of Israel and took a stand for Israel and its people. Make no mistake, this action, this stand will preserve and protect you. There is disorganization in the camp of the enemy. And you will see that just like in my word, the enemies of my people would turn on each other and destroy each other. This is what is occurring now. Don't be deceived and do not listen to what would deceive. Victory approaches. The lion is about to roar. 
And so we thank the Lord for <clears throat> speaking to us concerning things to come and believe that it'll be just that way. And uh, in this series that we've been dealing with, Give No Place, uh, we've talked <clears throat> at length about how the believer does not have to give place to the enemy. And uh, we're going to continue to do that, but in this message, the Lord kind of took me uh, down a pathway I'd been thinking, but he uh, was dealing with me about some things. Let's go to Matthew 16, Matthew chapter 16, <clears throat> and uh, Jesus says some things here. Everything that Jesus said was important, but what he says here is vital for a couple of reasons, because he says here in Matthew 16, and we'll begin in verse 18, the King James Bible says, and I say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I want you to see this. The Roost Bible makes this statement. It says, I will build my church, and the councils of the unseen world will not overpower it. The councils of the unseen world will not overpower it. So what we have to see here is that the enemy understands that there's nothing he can do to overpower the church without the church's help. Now, how do I know that he knows that? Because he knows the scripture. And Jesus said here that on this rock, this rock of the revealed knowledge of who I am, I will build my church. Not talking about building a rock, a, a church on Peter. He's talking about building it on this rock of revealed knowledge. He said, I will build my church and the councils of the unseen world will not overpower it. So the enemy understands there's nothing he can do to overpower the church without the church's help. Without the church helping him. All right. The King James uses the phrase, the gates of hell will not prevail. And I've ministered along these lines, and, and I believe it's true, I've heard other ministers, that, that you, know, you don't attack something with gates. So this is not talking about hell attacking the church as much as it's talking about the church not being able to overpower hell. Other translations read, over and over it's translated, powers of hell, powers of death. The Phillips translation says, and the powers of death will never have the power to destroy it. Uh, the Revised Standard, RSV, the powers of death will not prevail against it. <clears throat> the Living Bible says, and all the powers of hell shall not prevail against it. So in order to prevail in any area over the church, Satan needs the cooperation of the church. He needs the church to cooperate with him. 
The church locally and universally is the hope of the world. I wrote the book, The Local Church, The Hope of the World. They are the hope of the world. And the word prevail, the gates of hell, the powers of hell, will not prevail against my church. That word literally means to be strong. All right, in the literal sense, the word prevail means to be strong. Here, in this instance, it means win a victory over. So the gates of hell, the powers of hell, the power of the devil will never win a victory over the church. Ever. All right? Other translations, the, the NASB says overpower. The NIV says overcome. And so what Jesus is saying is I will build my church on this rock of revealed knowledge and the powers of hell, all the powers of hell, will never win a victory over it, will never overpower it, and will never overcome it. Now think about that. You are a part of something in the church that cannot be overpowered by hell. Cannot. It's impossible. All right? Because Jesus said this. Now, the enemy knows that, and, and hell knows this. And so they, they work to get the cooperation of the church to aid in its own defeat. Now, this is not every church, and, and I'm not... Listen, I will never be one of those preachers that talks about the powerlessness of the church and how the church is backslidden. The church, the church is exactly what Jesus said it is in Matthew 16. It is not just the enemy of hell. It is the dominator of hell. It is the one that is enforcing the victory that Jesus bought over hell. And hell cannot win a victory against us and can never overpower us or overcome us. That, that, that's, that's the view Jesus has of his church. And please notice that this is so important. He says, I will build my church. My church. I pointed out in the book, Local Church Hope of the World, that Jesus takes personal ownership of the church. He says, that's my church. He calls the church his body in the earth. Now, this is important because hell could not overcome Jesus when he was in the earth physically, and he was the representation of the body of Christ in the earth, and hell could not overcome him. Hell never won one victory over him. Well, he hasn't changed, and we are his body, so we cannot be defeated. Just can't be. All right? Now, the enemy knows this. And so he works to try to get a cooperation. Because we see here the power of hell cannot win a victory over the church, overpower the church, overcome the church, it cannot happen because the church is never weak, never powerless, never defeated. The church is never on life support, but you hear preachers preaching that. Oh, the church. Oh, such a sorry state of the church. No, 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 there's not. No, there's not. I I'm sorry, sir, ma'am. It might be that way in your church, but it's not that way in our churches. We are walking in victory. We are walking in overcoming ability. Because we know who we are. Now, hallelujah, it's not barely breathing, not backslidden, not lukewarm, not indifferent, not the church. Religion 
might be backslidden and lukewarm and indifferent and dead, but not the church. And here's why. The church is the body of Christ in the earth, and Christ's body is not dead, backslidden, indifferent, or lukewarm. Cannot be, because Christ isn't those things. Hallelujah. So, the devil realizes these things to be true, and in order to thwart or uh, hinder the reality of this victory, he has to attempt to limit the influence of the church in the earth. If he can limit the influence, he can limit the victory. In Matthew 5, we're going to read some things here that Jesus says, beginning in verse 13, Jesus talks about two things that the church is. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Then he says the second thing. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So notice that Jesus says the, salt, the, the, the church is two things, salt and light. Now simply put, salt and light are both influencers. Influencers. All right? Salt influences the taste of food. Salt influences, especially many, many years ago, uh, people preserved their meat and preserved things through putting salt on. They packed them in salt. Salt was a preservative. Salt was an influencer. Light is an influence. What does it influence primarily? Darkness. When light shows up, darkness leaves. Amen. So Jesus said the church, first of all, is the salt of the earth. Now think about that. Not, notice, I know that salt irritates, but the church is not the irritation of the earth. All right? It, it, it is the influence in the earth. And he said, notice, here, here's something I want to show you because we're talking about giving no place. He said, if the salt loses its saltiness, King James uses the word savor, or if it loses its pungency. Notice, he says, there's no one that can make it salty again or pungent again. If the salt loses its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? In other words, there's nothing in the earth that can make the salt salty again. If, in other words, if what you are called to be as the church influence, if you're not being that, then you're not only not accomplishing your purpose, you have become unsalty. You understand? 
and, and you're not good for what I called you to do. Hallelujah. If the church loses its saltiness, it's not good for the purpose God placed it in the earth for, which is what? Influence. 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 You are people of influence. The church is a place of influence. The enemy, even though Jesus said, the gates of hell will not overpower, overcome, win a victory over, the enemy hinders the church when the church fails to exert the influence it possesses. The devil works to eliminate or at least limit the influence of the church. And and you see that. You see that in society. You see that in culture. Amen. He works to limit the influence the church exerts in society. And he does that through darkening the perception. 2 Corinthians 4.4, very familiar verse. We've used it a lot in this series. Paul said, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them so that they could not or should not believe the gospel, the light of the glorious gospel. And so the minds of them who don't believe are darkened. They're not thinking correctly their perceptions darken and so the church loses its influence when we begin to think like those whose perception is darkened this is important especially in the season we're in when the church begins to think like those whose perception is darkened we lose our influence see that's salt that's light when, when the church is exercising its influence, we are the light of the world. And so when people are thinking in a, in a darkened state or their perception is darkened, the church is there to shine the light. This is what the Word says. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The entrance of your Word brings light. See, Jesus said, if you'll remember what He said, He said, here's the problem that people are going to be judged for is that light came into the earth and they didn't believe it. The light came and they didn't believe it. So the job of the church is to be that influence, that light, that salt, that savoring in the earth. We bring the God flavors alive in the earth. All right? Our life is flavored by God. Our life is lit by God. And everywhere we go, we're giving the world a vision of God and a taste of God. Everywhere we go. And the enemy knows this. And that's why he fights to limit the influence of the church. And there there are parts of the church that have taken on the thoughts of the world. And they teach and preach them for truth. There, 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 there is a very large church, and I won't mention the name of the church, but there's a very large church there in uh, uh, Johnson County. As a matter of fact, it, it's, 
if not the largest, one of the largest in that particular denomination in the whole United States. It may be the largest. And uh, they begin to teach some years ago. And, and the pastor uh, uh, began to teach and preach uh, that homosexuality and homosexual marriage and, and all of these things was acceptable by God. And I've heard people make statements about this pastor, how he's a rock star. Uh, he's an up-and-coming uh, 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 voice. He is, he is all of these things. And, and they, they, you know, they put this, he's so with it. And he has his finger on the pulse of culture. And, and you know, he is just, uh, he, he gets what's going on. But yet he's teaching that something God says should never be is okay. Do you see this? So in that instance, influence is lost. Right? Because it's not salt or light. Someone living in sin, according to Scripture, is living in darkness. And unless the light shines, they cannot see that. Someone living in sin is living a life that has no God flavors in it. And unless there's salt that's added, they will never know the goodness of God in contrast to the life they're living. And the enemy knows this. And so... They begin to teach, and certain segments begin to teach that, you know, homosexuality is not sin. Homosexual marriage is not wrong. And, and, you know, I mean, after all, we have open doors, open hearts, and open minds. Well, we do. I do. I have open doors, I have open heart, and I have an open mind. Me meaning, when I say I have an open mind... I understand that people are living in sin. And I understand that in America, they have a right to live in sin if they want to. But my job as a believer, my job as part of the church, is to not be a part of the deception that the enemy is trying to perpetrate on those people who are largely ignorant of what God wants for their life. I have to make a stand and be the influence that God called me to be. In, in every area. Hallelujah. Do you see that? They teach, well, you know, women have the right to choose what they want to do with their body. And what they mean is that, that women have the right to choose to abort their child. You know, irregardless. Well, well here's the thing. If we don't influence that, we, we can't teach that. We can't preach that because if you say it that way well a woman has a right to abort that and and the world's going to use the word fetus and I keep reminding you that the word fetus in Greek means baby so even when they're saying that they're saying baby if if that is a baby and it is if that is a child with its own spirit and it is if the Spirit showed up at conception, and it did, if God knew that child before it was ever implanted in that mother's womb, and He did, if God called that child and gave it a purpose and gave it a reason for its life, 
then it is a separate human being. It is a separate person that is just not fully formed yet. It it is not a part of that woman's body. It resides in the part of that anatomy called the womb that God reserved for that child, that baby, that human being to be formed and grow in until the point that it could come into this earth and begin its life outside the womb of his mother. It it is separate from its mother. It is separate from the, the mother. It receives sustenance through what the mother brings into her body, but it is still separate. Because even people that will fight for the right to abort unborn children, if if a baby is three or four months along and something traumatic happens or there's a problem and, and that baby dies in the womb, they will say, the baby died. Well, what's the difference between six weeks old and three months old? If it was a baby at three months, it was a baby at six weeks. Do you understand? And and when the church loses its influence is when we begin to go down the road of comfort and we begin to go down the road of uh, non-confrontation and we enter into conformity, we lose our influence. We quit being salt and we quit being light. Hallelujah. They'll teach, well, you know, social drinking's okay. I mean, hey, after all, I've heard the argument, I've heard all kinds of arguments. Jesus turned water into wine. Well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to argue with that. That's the first miracle that Jesus performed. He turned water into wine. I'm not going to argue with you about it, and I'm not going to argue with you about it. Was it alcohol, or was it, not, was it non-alcoholic, or alcoholic? Look, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. It says he turned water into wine. But here's what you cannot show me. You cannot show me Jesus drinking any of that wine. <laughs> and, 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 right? And, and I'm, you know, people say, well, you, you can't say he didn't. Well, but you can't say he did. At best, the, the Bible is mute on the subject. But the, but the point is that I'm making is when you begin to preach that, hey, it's okay to drink socially. It's, a, it's okay to have cocktail hour. I remember a church. Oh, Lord, I might get in trouble. I, I remember a church advertising many, well, it's been some years ago, on, on uh, uh, their social media that on Thursdays, they were all meeting for cocktail hour B- before a Bible study, if I remember correctly. Join us an hour early for cocktails. What? So, so let's all get to feeling a little loose, and then we'll go study the Word. Wait, see, how is that influence? I, I don't understand it. And the reason I don't understand it is the church is called to influence that culture, not become a part of that culture. And I've had people tell me and talk to me, and they would say, well, you know, uh, uh, Jesus, 
you know, went and, and uh, ate with sinners. And yes, he did. And, and I know of at least two instances where he went to two tax collectors' houses. But both of those tax collectors repented. Zacchaeus and Matthew. More often than not in the scripture, you see where Jesus was dining or, or eating with his disciples. And it says, the sinners and the tax collectors and all of these people came to him. Why? He was influenced. Jesus influenced them. How did he influence them? And, and a lot of people will say immediately, love, he didn't judge them, he didn't condemn them. That's right. But he also told them the truth. He told them the truth. The woman caught in the very act of adultery. I don't condemn you, but listen, go and sin no more. Hallelujah. The man that he healed, he went and found him after the religious leaders had given him a hard time. And he said, go your way and sin no more, lest a worse thing come on you. What do you mean? Through sin, my brother, you can bring something worse on your life than this that you were healed from. That's influence. That's influence. And the church has to understand, if people persist in thinking the way they're thinking, worse things can come on them. And we have a responsibility to not be a party to letting the deception go on, but to stand and say, we're going to be salt and we're going to be light and we're going to influence people. We're going to love them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to be here for them. But at the same time, we're going to tell the truth. We're going to stand for the word. We're going to be a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's how it has to be. Hallelujah. Certain segments teach, you know, loose living and loose morals are okay as long as you're kind to people. Just be nice to people. Hmm. Do you see this? And I've had people say, but look at the numbers they're attracting. As I mentioned, this one church, possibly the largest church in that denomination in the United States. Look at the numbers they're attracting. But understand something. What are they reaching them with? A lie. A lie. Folks, the easiest thing in the world is to be around somebody that never challenges you. I remember, and this is an elementary example, but I remember uh, my youngest daughter, uh, especially, where she was concerned, I coached primarily all of her sports teams. Uh, I coached her soccer team. Uh, I coached her basketball team when she was in junior high. Uh, she, of course, went to a Christian school. And especially the basketball team. I was, I was coaching uh, elementary age girls. And when I say elementary age, actually junior high. But, but nonetheless, uh, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. And uh, there in that part of the country where we were, uh, the people I had to choose from, we didn't grow them very tall. I didn't have many tall girls. And, and, and so I, I figured something out real quick. We got to outlast everybody. We got to be able to run more than they do. Right? Now, I was blessed. 
I had, I had 10 girls on my team. I could sub out five for five if I wanted to. Didn't do that very often. But here's what we did. We ran every practice. Ran every practice. We ran lines. We ran around the gym. We ran up and backs. I'm, we, every, every practice we're running. I had one girl came to me, and she, she was just green. And she said, Coach, I think I'm going to throw up. I said, well, go throw up and come on back. And she went and did what she had to do and came back. And she stood there by me, and I said, Go get after it. You're okay, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I learned what I'm trying to say. I learned that we got to run. Now, there were, there were certain parts of that team that didn't like that challenge. But they liked winning. You follow me? And the more they won, the more comfortable they became with the challenge. And we had a very successful season. I remember one time I was talking to uh, the, the, the boys basketball, the high school coach. His name was John Smith. <laughs> Interesting name. And I was talking to him and I said, uh, my girls want to challenge the junior high boys team to a game. And he said, no, don't do that. He said, you don't want to embarrass those boys that way. Because we could outrun them. We could outlast them. We had a very successful season. But it did not come without challenges. I was coaching a, a, a team of girls that were very emotional. Right? And they, they, I had to look past that and consistently challenge them to dig deep inside and get the best out of you that's there. You know, if you, if you participate in a game and you lose, the shame is not in losing if you drew everything out of you that you had. If you left it all on the court and we lost, there's no shame in that loss. You never get comfortable with losing, but there's no shame in it because you did everything that you could do. But in order to leave it all out there, you have to be challenged. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? The easiest thing in the world is to be somewhere where you're never challenged. If I'm going to church, if I'm going to a, a body and I'm never challenged, not just where sin is concerned, if I'm never challenged to use my faith, if I'm never challenged to believe God for more, if I'm never challenged to become a better father, better husband, better wife, better mother, better child, whatever it may be, if I'm never challenged, that's the easiest place in the world to be. And so there will be vast numbers that will come where they're never challenged. And there's no influence being exerted in their life. Hallelujah. We're not called to blend in. We're called to influence our world. We're called to influence the society that we live in. With the what? The God colors of life. The God taste of life. Jesus told the disciples and told the people of His day, He said, taste of me. Learn of me. Come and see who I am. In uh, 
Matthew 5, 14. It says, you're the light of the world. Men do not light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus is simply saying this. If we're being the influence we're intended to be, we're like a large city set on top of a hill. It cannot help but be seen. It cannot be hidden. It cannot. Our light is not supposed to be hidden. He said you don't light a candle and put it under a basket in your house. You put it on a candlestick where it lights the entire house. In other words, the light that our life is, we don't hide it. We put it in a prominent position so that it can influence others. Let your light shine. Be the influence that you were called to be in every area. When, when you vote in this coming up election, be the influence that you were called to be. The church gives place to the devil when we fail to be the influence we're called to be. The light and the salt. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, the prophet says something concerning these type of issues. And... Uh, it's important where influence is concerned. Because he says in verse 20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The center column reference of my Bible says, They say concerning evil, it is good. And notice what it says. It says, woe to them that say that. That's not the kind of woe you tell a horse. That means watch out, look out, it's not going to end well. If you're saying concerning evil, it's good, he says, watch out. Watch out, be careful. Amen. Now there are a lot of issues in the world today. And, and there's a couple that are very prominent. But, the, you know, there's a lot of issues in the world today. There's a lot of things in this upcoming election that are ungodly that, that we're, we got to deal with and be influenced in light concerning. Some of them are more prominent than others. But when you call, he says here, you say concerning evil, it's good. Or we could say this, you say concerning evil, it's my right. I can live however I want. Hmm. But understand this. I understand that to be true as far as an American citizen goes. But here's what I also understand. That my responsibility as a believer supersedes... My being an American citizen. 
you might have a right to live a certain way as an American citizen, but if I'm going to be salt and light, if I'm going to influence you because I know the end of that, my being in the kingdom supersedes that. This is important. Because uh, Scripture says don't do this. Don't, don't say something evil is good. Don't be vague. Why? Good is good. Evil is evil. They don't mix. At some point, they cannot coexist. And at some point, they'll come to a head-to-head confrontation. At some point. Hallelujah. And, and I've got to be the influence. Yeah, but you know, uh, 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 the person you know, that thinks that way, they're, they're a good friend of mine, been a friend of mine for years, or they're a family member, or they're something. Listen, don't call evil good. Period. If I'm going to influence the world. Now, now listen, this is something important. So how does the enemy limit the influence of the church? Well, he starts by painting anybody that has a biblical worldview with this brush of intolerant, uncaring, bigoted, or hateful. If, if you say the Word of God and God is against homosexual marriage and you won't vote for a candidate that supports it, they say you're a bigot. You're in top. No, you're just being influenced. Why is it so frustrating to people that want to do wrong that we say it's wrong? If that's really what you believe to be the truth, what does it matter what anybody else thinks? It's because when the church is exerting its influence and the church says, this is not biblical, this is not right, this is, we're not okay with this, it points out the wrongness of what's going on. And that's when a person gets upset. My mother always told me, if you haven't done anything wrong, you don't have anything to worry about. So they'll brand you as intolerant. Well, my brother, sister, according to Scripture, we are to be intolerant of anything the Bible says is sin. I won't tolerate it in my life. I will not tolerate any thinking that says it's okay. Now then people will say, you know, we love the person uh, uh, committing the act. We just don't tolerate the action. And then the argument will be, well, you know, then, then that's not love. They don't understand how we as Christians live our life and, and, and how, we can, how we can understand that hating sin and hating the sinner are miles apart. 
we despise the sin because of what it's going to do to the person's life. Don't be vague. Wrong is wrong. Right is right. If you're going to influence, if you're going to be salt, and you're going to be light. Amen. Now, there, there are Christian groups that take things too far. I understand that. But, but here's what I'm saying. The devil limits our influence when he gets us to compromise. I'm helping someone. Many believers just want to go with the flow. Don't make any waves. And they'll say, well, I know what I believe. I just don't push it off on anybody else. It's not what Scripture said. It said in the book of Matthew, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So if I'm never letting my light shine, if I'm never influencing, no one can ever see the good works and no one can ever glorify my Father which is in heaven. Letting your light shine and being the influence is not being okay with what people do in the sense of never telling the truth. Hallelujah. I've worked with any number of people. When I worked in the corporate world, I was surrounded by sinners. I mean, I was surrounded by very great sinners. You, you name it. I, I dealt with them from, from homosexuals to uh, people that ran around in the bars to uh, 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 one girl was living uh, in adultery with a married man. And I remember the day uh, in our department, I, she was the unit manager, uh, would be the unit manager. She wasn't at this time. And I walked by her desk, and I saw a picture on her desk. And it looked like this guy that was very popular in a television commercial at the time. And I thought, well, you know, she's printed out that picture or whatever. And, and I looked at her, I looked at the picture, and uh, I said, uh, is that such and such from that commercial? And she said, no, boy, I wish. And she said, uh, well, actually, that's what she said. She said, no, boy, I wish. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, no. That's the man she's committing adultery with and he's married and you need to tell her that's not right. Well, I looked at her and I just said what the Lord said. I said, no. I said, that's not him. I said, that's a man that you're in a relationship with and he's married and you're committing adultery with him and you need to know that's not right. Now, we were, we were friends as far as work went. But I saw the reaction. She began to weep. She began to weep. I wasn't condescending. I didn't call her bad names. I just said what the Lord said. And I said it in a tone that was nice and, and sweet. And I tried to be as comforting as I could. What she got out of that conversation was God cares about my life. That opened up a door for me to be able to speak into her life. I don't know what happened to her. She ended up getting fired. But it opened up a door while she was there for me to be salt and light. I would, I would go out to lunch with them. 
Uh, I didn't have a, a pet. We only had one car at the time. We were learning how to prosper. And so I would ride the, the bus to work. And uh, on payday, especially, uh, I, I would get my check cash, buy my bus pass, and sometimes we'd go to lunch. Sometimes, not, not often, but sometimes. And there were many times they would invite me to go to lunch. And I'd say, yeah, I'll go. And I would, I would load up in a car with three or four of, of these young ladies that, and, and, of course, young men, uh, at, at least one most of the time, that were sinners, that were not living right. But understand something. The level of respect that they showed me because I was influencing their lives. Sometimes I look back on that and I think, the only thing I did was let my light shine. That's all I did. Amen. And, 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 and they wouldn't order drinks when I was there. Uh, uh, they would refrain from smoking when I was with them. Uh, uh, they, would, they would even watch their language. And if they did curse, they would apologize. Now, understand what I'm trying to say. I'm not promoting me. I'm saying I determine I got to be influenced. I got to be influenced here. And, 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 and there were people that would come to my desk and say, would you pray for me? When there was a problem, people would come and ask me to pray. Even, even the boss, he would talk to me and he would say, now, Philip, I know that you're a man of faith and I know that you're a man of the word, uh, you know, and, and then he would go into what we needed to do. Or if, if he would maybe slip and, and say a word that he shouldn't say, he'd apologize, say, I, I know you're a man of faith and, and these different things. Influence. Influence. This is important. Because I never was condemning or condescending or judgmental. I just did this. I refused to call darkness light and light darkness. Not going to do that. Not going to do it. So I wasn't pushing what I believed off on them. I was just stating what I believed because it's truth. On November 3rd, when you go to cast your ballot, as a believer... You are honor-bound and word-bound to vote in line with what Scripture says. You're honor-bound and word-bound to vote in line with what Scripture said. Why? You cannot cast a vote that says darkness is light and light is darkness. You just can't if I'm going to be influenced. We're not called to sit on the sidelines. We're called to influence the city, the state, the nation, the world that we live in. That's what we're called to do. And when the influence gets involved, things change. When the influence gets involved, things change. In Proverbs 11, 11. It says, by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. Overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. But by the blessing of the upright, it's exalted. So when the influence gets involved, 
the blessing comes on the city. Hallelujah. So when the influence gets involved, the blessing comes on the nation. The blessing comes on the city, the state, the nation, the world. When the influence gets involved. But when the influence just sits idly by. I I heard a statistic, and and I'm I'm often careful about statistics, but the the source of this is, is credible said even in the last presidential election that there are 25 million registered Christian voters who did not vote. Well, what what did they fail to do? Exert their influence. Exert their influence. This is important because it's not so much political as it is us exerting our spiritual influence that God has given us as the church, as the body of Christ in the earth. Jesus said, again, in Matthew 5, and this is, to me, something that it obviously can be used just in the, in the context of witnessing to someone. But he said again, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Notice, you're the influence in the earth. I put you here to be influence. So I put you here to be influence in your family, uh, on your job. I put you here to be influence in your city. I put you here to be influence in the political arena. Then he said in verse 14, you're the light of the world. Think about that. This is so important. You are the light of the world. The light of the world. And he said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. This tells us something very important. That if I am as salty as I'm supposed to be, and if I'm as bright as I'm supposed to be, I'll be influencing things. You can't hide a city set on a hill. If you put salt on something, that salt is going to influence the taste of that dish depending on the amount that you put on it. You can taste something at some point and say, whoo, that's too salty. And then you might taste something else and say, it's not salty enough. If it's not salty enough, you apply more. Because you want the taste to be influenced. Far from just being a message on how you should vote or uh, helping you understand, or even talking about the, the, the evils of some of these things, What I want you to get is the enemy exerts influence over the church. The enemy overpowers, overruns, gets a victory in these areas when the church fails to be its influence. I remember when Pastor Caldwell told a story about uh, many years ago, uh, Cable was coming, had come to Little Rock. And, uh, of course, he was pastoring Agape. And uh, he said that, uh, 
the Playboy Channel had come and was talking to the city council and they wanted to put the Playboy Channel on the cable block. Well, he heard about it and uh, he took the whole church down to the city council meeting to stand against it. Spoke to the city council. Don't let this in our city. You'll open up doors you don't want open. Amen. What was that? Influence. Yeah, but you know, uh, if, if you don't want it, don't, don't watch it. Don't order it. That's not influence. That's saying, I don't want to make any waves. That's saying, I don't really care what goes on in my city as long as it doesn't affect me. But here's the thing. It will affect you. Because it will be available. And someone will watch it. Someone will look at it. Someone will get involved with it. Do do you hear what I'm saying? Don't ever think that if you don't exert your influence in the God-ordained places that you have been called to operate in authority, don't ever think that if you don't exert your influence that everything's just going to be okay. The area you did not influence will harm you. It just will. And it's not about being an activist. It's about exercising the authority that I've been given in the earth as salt and light. He stood against that. You know, they went ahead and voted to let it come in, but it was not because the church did not stand against it. He took the whole church and they stood against it. Hallelujah. He began to change the consciousness of the city. Rented billboards all around town. Jesus is Lord over Little Rock. Bumper stickers on cars. T-shirts. Doing what? Influencing the city. Influencing the way people thought. Hallelujah. And we cannot sit silently as believers and just think that somehow everything's going to work out if I don't exert my influence. Hallelujah. I I will hear ministers very often, they'll say, well, you know, I I I I don't want to be political. Folks, I'm not political, I'm biblical. Not being political, I'm being biblical. All throughout the Bible, the function of government was influenced by the men and the women of God. My pastor said something one time. He said that God will hold the church responsible for what goes on in their nation. Man, I heard that and I made the decision. I will not be silent. I will not be silent. Because we become so concerned about what people may think 
instead of being the influence, the salt and the light. And then when the enemy gets a victory, the church complains and gripes, but we didn't do anything to influence it. Are you with me? November 3rd, you go vote. And I'm going to tell you straight up, I can't tell you who to vote for, but I'm telling you, read the Bible. Read the Bible and see the kind of men it said to vote for. Men of character, men of honor, men of integrity. You don't vote for, well, let me say it this way. You have, if you're going to vote the Bible, you're not going to mark a ballot for someone that believes in killing an unborn child, someone that believes in homosexual marriage, someone that believes uh, in, in, in defriending Israel, someone that believes that, that all religions are the same and, and that the Bible isn't relevant for today and that the church shouldn't have the voice it has. If, listen, if you cast a vote in that direction, then the trouble that comes on America because of it, you're responsible for it. You're responsible for it. Well, then I just won't vote. Then you're responsible for it there as well. Because a no vote is a vote for whoever won. And if the wrong party wins and you didn't vote, you're responsible. This is important. This is what God's laid on my heart. Is that, that you'll hear ministers, they'll say things like, like the enemy's just running roughshod and he's working in our nation. But there's an entity in our nation called the church that the Bible says the devil can never get a victory over. If we would just step out and do what we're called to do. Just step out. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be harsh. I've learned that over the years. And there are things you just don't pay attention to. People try to get you into an argument, don't argue about it. You are salt and you are light. You just, you state what the word says and you leave it at that. This is what I believe. And leave it at that. Hallelujah. So Father, we thank you tonight. For the influence that we are as the body of Christ in the earth. And we thank you, Lord, that in the season that we're in, in this upcoming election season, that the church will turn out in mass. That we will turn out in volumes that are unprecedented. Unrivaled in any election. I pray, Father, that you would wake up those that may think it's no big deal and may think it's not an issue and, and may think it doesn't matter. Lord, shake them. Shake them awake. And let them see it matters. It matters what we do. And may there be no inactivity in the church. May there be no slothfulness and laziness and lethargy and sleeping. May we realize that we have a job to do. This is our nation. This is a nation that was founded 
as one nation under God. And that we have a responsibility as Christian Americans. We are Christians first. As Christian Americans, we have a responsibility before God Almighty to exert our influence. And Father, I just say, I'll do it. I'll do it, and I believe everyone listening to me will do it. And we'll see a great change. Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name.